If you have your Bibles, uh, find Romans, please. I'm going to invite you to find that and then keep your Bibles open because we're going to, I'm going to read it and then we'll, we'll turn back to it. Romans 4. And we'll begin at verse 18. While you're still finding that, let me remind you about our new schedule, temporary schedule, beginning next week. Because the governor's mask mandate is being lifted on Thursday, we're altering or adding two services to accommodate as many as we can. I know there are lots of different opinions and convictions about that. So we're going to add a, t a traditional service at 8.15 in the chapel, and masks will be required. At the 8.15 First Fellowship, contemporary service, masks will be required there. Then we're going to have Bible study back to Sunday school. And then at 10.30, this service will be same place, same time, and um, the masks will be recommended. And at 10.30, we're adding a contemporary service, a second First Fellowship down there, and I'll be speaking by video there, and uh, masks will be recommended there. So if you, if you really want to be in a, a masked uh, place, uh, then, and, and like contemporary, I mean, excuse me, traditional worship, then chapel at 8.15 next week, and then in this room at 10.30, masks recommended. All right, let's read from uh, Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. We're going to come back to that. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness, quoting from the Old Testament. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, Jesus, and was raised to life for our justification. During a drought, folks pray desperately for rain and look desperately for rain clouds. It happened to Elijah. Old Testament prophet Elijah lived through a long, dry drought. But then God whispered to Elijah, I'm about to send rain. <clears throat> Elijah sent his servant to go scan the skies and bring back a weather report. His servant came back and said, I'm sorry, Elijah, but there's not a cloud, nair cloud in the sky. Go look again, Elijah said. We don't know how long he waited, but he said, go look again. Seven times he said, uh, go look again. And on the seventh time, the servant came back and said, Elijah, I, I don't know if I even should mention it, but there's a little bit of cloud way yonder 
on the horizon, a rather pitiful looking thing, a rather lonely looking cloud. And I probably shouldn't even have mentioned it. That Elijah said to the servant, that's the first cloud and here comes the rain. Carrie and I and our family know what that's like. When we lived as missionaries in Nigeria for the first 10 months, we lived in the ancient town of Oya to study the Yoruba language. And there, water was scarce. We didn't get water, city water, like you and I get piped in now. We had a cistern, a tank that was elevated and, and, and gravity fed the water into the house. And we shared that little cistern with another family. And between us, we had five little bitty kids. And water was precious, especially during the dry season. They had a rainy season and a dry season. During the dry season, we rationed water. We used it three times. This is a family show, so I'm not going to tell you exactly how we used that water three times, but we did. And water, we'd look. During the dry season, every once in a while, there would be the slightest hint of thunder in the distance. And there would be a little bit of cloud or two way yonder on the horizon. And we would go get buckets. We'd get those buckets and take them out. And every container, every bowl, every thing we could find that might catch water, we took those, all those containers out there. Because during the dry season, Water is precious. This has been a long, dry drought of a year. But I, I see on the distant horizon a little bitty cloud. And I have never looked forward to spring like I've looked forward to this spring and I've never looked forward to Easter like I've looked forward to this Easter because this Easter, like certainly in a way unique to my lifetime, signals hope. Now I know the experts say that we shouldn't let down our guard prematurely. We shouldn't ease up too quickly. And I know this has not been a complete wash or waste of a year. We've learned some things this year. At First Baptist, we've learned some things that will take us positively into the future. But in most ways, this has been a long, dry drought of a year. Healthcare workers. If you are in the field of healthcare, whether you're in the lab or on the floor or in, in administration, if you are a healthcare worker, would you stand, please? Thank you for what you've done. It's been a long, dry drought of a year for healthcare workers and for school teachers. If you are in education, administration, in an office, in the classroom, whatever level of education, at, what, at whatever level, would you please stand? Educators. Thank you all. It's been a long, dry drought of a year for educators.
learning to teach remotely and putting up with parents and all that. If you are a student, I don't care if you're kindergarten to grad school, would you stand, please? Good work. You have survived the most difficult year probably of your educational life. That away. I'm not going to recognize everybody who's had a hard year. We'd be a long time here, but there are others, parents of, of students who have juggled your students' schedules and your own work schedules. And many, in many cases, you have taken care of aging parents. Speaking of aging parents, there are lots of grandparents who did not see or maybe have not yet seen their grandkids for months. People lost their jobs. People saw their savings plummet. People have died alone, save for a few compassionate professionals who surrounded them. Our nation has been torn apart by violence and partisanship. There is widespread anxiety and depression. This week I heard of a counselor, a local counselor, who can't take any more patients for two months. The counselor's full. Such widespread anxiety, understandably, and depression. It's been a long, dry drought of a year. But I see the rain clouds gathering in the distance. And this Easter, like no other Easter that I remember, the word that comes to me is hope. I want to be clear here at the, near the beginning that we not misunderstand the word hope. Hope is not mere idealism. Hope, not biblical hope. Hope is not mere optimism, not God-sized hope. Hope is not mere uh, rosy glasses-ism, not biblical God-sized hope. Biblical hope is realistic. But biblical hope is the deep conviction that by God's grace, we are going to be okay. Biblical God-sized hope believes that he who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and has all the hairs on your head and my head numbered, that he who clothes the lilies of the field and keeps his eye on the sparrow is big enough and good enough to make sure that you, at the core of who you are, are okay. Biblical hope does not mean everything's going to turn out like you'd like it. Biblical hope does not mean you get everything you hope for. But biblical hope, God-sized hope, says God is big enough and loving enough that at the core of who I am, by His grace, I'm going to be okay. 
Retired Admiral William McRaven made a famous graduation speech that turned into a famous book titled, Make Your Bed. And in his book, McRaven tells the story of Army Ranger Adam Bates. Young Ranger Bates stepped on a landmine in the Middle East, and his injuries were so severe he was medevaced to a hospital near where Admiral, Admiral McRaven was, and hearing the news, Admiral McRaven rushed over to see him. He walked into the room and saw this young Ranger with tubes out of his mouth and out of his chest and the, the streaks uh, of the burns from the explosion up his arms and across his face. And he said, and I'm reading Admiral McRaven's words now, the blanket covering his body lay flat to the bed where his legs would normally have been. Adam Bates, the young ranger, opened his eyes slightly. He can't speak, the attending nurse said. He can't speak right now. But his mother was deaf, and, and he knows how to sign. So she handed him a sheet with the symbols, like the sign language symbols, so that if he were to sign, the admiral could understand. The admiral said, I tried to speak words of comfort and hope to this young ranger. But he said, I struggle to find words of comfort and hope to a young man, for a young man whose legs had just been blown off. The young admiral looked up at him with his eyes barely open, and the admiral said, he must have seen the pity in my expression. And the young ranger lifted his arms slowly, deliberately, and painfully, and began to sign Four words, I will be okay. There is no more profound definition of hope, description of hope, than those four words. Admiral McRaven said a year later he was at a big ranger event and he saw Adam Bates, the young ranger, ranger standing tall and proud on his new prosthetic legs, laughing with the, all the other rangers. And he said he overheard Ranger Bates challenge those guys to a chin-up contest. He was, in fact, okay. There is no more profound description of hope than those four words. I will be okay. Now to our text for today, if you still have your Bibles open. Romans 4.18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. He hoped against hope, as some of your Bibles say it. That's not just a creative turn of phrase. It's not just a play on words. It's not just a literary hook. It means hope despite evidence. Hope in spite of the lack of evidence. Hope in spite of the fact that there's just little evidence. Believing it's going to rain even when it's just a little bit of cloud on the horizon. But now on what, upon what is that hope built? We have to rush to the end of the paragraph. But also, verses 24 and 25, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was 
Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Hope. Pay attention now. Real hope, biblical hope, God-sized hope is, is not just some subjective idea. It is based on the last two verses of that paragraph. That Jesus, who would not let his son lie more than three days in the tomb, is big enough and powerful enough and good enough to make sure that you are okay. Ephesians 2.12 says that people without Jesus are without hope and without God in the world. Does that mean that people who are not yet Christ followers have no hope for a better tomorrow? Of course not. It does mean there is a richness to Christian hope. That once we've experienced this transformation so powerful, so beautiful, that Jesus called it a new birth. He said this, this experience of, of, of turning to Jesus is so beautiful. It's like a new baby being born. Did I tell you I got a new grandson? I figured I'd work that in this morning. New birth is a miraculous, awe-inspiring, beautiful thing. And Jesus said that when someone comes to me, he or she is transformed so radically, so beautifully, so miraculously. It's like, it's like being born again. And when that happens, the Easter story moves from out there into here. And the Easter story is no longer just a, a cultural expression, but that story becomes part of our story. And when we have experienced that transformation called the new birth, the, the, and when the story, the Easter story, the, the empty tomb story has, has reached way down into who we are, when it is down there in the, in the marrow of our bones, when it is in the corners of our heart, when the Easter story is not just out there, but it's in here, then hope becomes a beacon on a foggy night. And hope becomes a candle on a dark night and hope becomes a companion on a lonely night when the Easter story has moved from out there into way down into here into the marrow of our bones in the corner of our hearts when the empty tomb story has become our story then hope becomes a fire on a cold night and hope becomes a guardian angel on a frightening night, and hope becomes shelter on a stormy night. And it changes the lens through which we look at the world. The resurrection does. At Easter 2018, three years ago, George Weigel wrote a story in the Wall Street Journal titled, The Easter Effect. He asked, why, why is it, or how is it, that, that by the year 300 AD, Christians made up a, as much as a quarter to a half of the Roman Empire, the, of the population of the Roman Empire, in 250 years, Christians had gone from this little bitty gaggle of nobodies to half, almost half the population of the Roman Empire. And he had, George Weigel asked, how did that happen? 
He said, well, there's some sociological reasons, like, for example, the Christian message is a positive one, and they lived in a barbaric culture, and so that positive message attracted people. Second, he said, they treated women well. Christians did, and in their culture, women were, were not treated well. Third, there were, and the plagues, and you've heard this maybe, you know, the Christians were the ones that would take care of the sick and the dying, even when family members were running because they were afraid they would be infected. The Christians would stay, and they would linger by the bedside and, and wipe the brows of, and they would subject themselves to the illness of those people dying with plagues. So he said there are sociological reasons for which Christianity exploded, but he said, None of them accounts for the, the explosive population growth of Christians. This is what he said. Now remember, this ain't guidepost. Uh, this is not Christianity today. This is not your Sunday school book. It's the Wall Street Journal. George Weigel wrote, there is no accounting for the astronomical rise of Christianity without weighing the revolutionary impact of having encountered the risen Lord. After the resurrection, their lives weren't perfect. The Roman army still occupied their land. People still died inexplicably and unfairly. Their own lives were threatened. Many of them died the deaths of martyrs. The resurrection didn't solve all their problems. But it changed the lens through which they viewed the world. They saw the Roman army through a different lens. They saw their dying family members through a different lens. They faced their own martyrdom through a different lens. They knew that God is big enough and powerful enough and loving enough to reach down into a tomb and pull the cold, lifeless body of his son up. And if he's big enough and powerful and loving enough to do that, they knew we're going to be okay. Maggie Fortenberry was a former Miss Alabama. She lived in Mountain Brook, as you know, an upscale uh, neighborhood in uh, greater Birmingham, sold real estate. And from, from the outside, it looked like Maggie Fortenberry had everything together. But her classy exterior masked the deep pain that she was feeling inside. Maggie Fortenberry was broken. The taxi cab showed up that morning, first thing, just like she had scheduled it. She had planned this day perfectly. This was the day she would take her own life and nobody would ever find her body. The taxi driver drove her to the river her letter, her to whom it may concern letter, was back home on the kitchen counter. She walked down to the riverbank, and there on the bank was the, was the boat, the little boat, just where she'd left it, with a few items inside just where she'd left them. She paddled out to the middle of the river, 
And she attached the weights that she had left in the boat, the heavy weights, to her wrists and to her ankles. Then she set the timer she had brought for 20 minutes, long enough for the miracle glue to harden. She said she whiled away those 20 minutes singing uh, oldies uh, but goodies. And then, ding, the timer went off. And, and so she slipped over the side of the boat and hung on just for a few moments and then let go. And the weights worked. They, they pulled her quickly toward the bottom of the river. And her first thought was, well, my plan worked. The water grew darker and darker as she sank deeper and deeper. And then all of a sudden, she thought, I've made a terrible mistake. All of a sudden, she desperately wanted to live. She wanted to breathe, and she flailed about with those weights, but she couldn't get, she couldn't get away from them. She began to scream underwater, Wait, stop! But it was too late. The die was cast. There was no reversing her decision. She wanted to breathe so badly, she, she tried to inhale air, but instead she said she felt the cold river water rush into her lungs. And just in the moment before she lost consciousness, she sprang up in the bed, her heart pounding, sweating, Still screaming, wait, stop. And she didn't know, am I dead? Am I alive? And she looked around. She, she grabbed the remote from the nightstand and pointed at the TV. And, and suddenly there was the Good Morning Alabama TV show. <clears throat> and she felt something. She thought, it's funny, yesterday, I couldn't think of a reason to live. But right now, just breathing feels good. The day before, she couldn't think of a reason to live. Now life seemed like a gift. She felt something. I'm reading from the book now. Whatever it was, she was feeling absolutely, what was the perfect word? Hopeful. That was it. And then she heard the bells ring. The bells from the Highlands Methodist Church just down the road. And she thought, it's Sunday. But then it dawned on her, it's not just any Sunday. She realized it was Easter Sunday. She looked out the window and there was her Easter lily in full bloom, enjoying the morning Easter sun. And she wondered, was that a coincidence? That I had that nightmare and woke up on Easter? She believed, in fact, it was not a coincidence. She believed it was a miracle. She had awoken from a nightmare 
on Easter and it felt an awful lot like hope. It's been a long, dry drought of a year. But there is on the distant horizon the gathering of clouds. This thing's going to be over before long. We have survived this. And you are going to be okay. Whatever happens, by the grace of Almighty God, you are going to be okay if the Easter story is now your story then hope is the beacon on your foggy night. And hope is the candle on your dark night. And hope is your companion on a lonely night. The tomb is empty. And hope is now your fire on a cold night. Hope is now your guardian angel on a frightening night. Hope is now your shelter on a stormy night. You are going to be okay. I've talked for over 20 minutes and I could have said it all in one sentence. And you sat there the whole time. But this is the Easter message. Jesus is alive, and you are going to be okay. Jesus is alive, and you're going to be okay. Jesus is alive, and I'm going to be okay. Would you say that with me? Jesus is alive, and I'm going to be okay. Let's say it one more time with a little more enthusiasm this time. Jesus is alive, and I'm going to be okay. That sounded so good. Would y'all stand up, please? And let's say that one more time. Jesus is alive, and I'm going to be okay. Amen, right? Well, we're going to have a song, and uh, what, since y'all are standing, I appreciate that. We're going to listen to Esther play, and I'm going to stand down front and with others, and we're going, to, we're going to love to talk with you about what it means to make the Easter story your story, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, or, or to become part of our church family. I think every Sunday since we've been back in in-person worship, there's been at least one person in one of our services who's come to plant your life among us, and we're deeply grateful for that, and we'd love to talk with you about that while Esther plays, and I'm going to stand and wait on you.